There are business leaders that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They're elevating their businesses, teams, and themselves to add more value. And so can you. Welcome to the Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. If you are looking for ways to elevate success while contributing to a better world, you'll want to listen for the next hour. Now here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper and welcome to the Business Elevation Show on Voice America. Delighted to have you uh, back here again and, and listening to the show. So today I'm going to introduce you to uh, Mark Croston um, of the World Dodgeball Association. We're going to talk about dodgeball. Uh, it's going to be a fun show today. Um, but before I do that, I'd like to say a huge thank you to my guest last week. Um, I always enjoy talking to David Long of my employees. Uh, David has a, an amazing uh, engagement business in North Carolina. And, uh, and and people actually go to that company to study engagement. Uh, a number of um, of all, so another authors have actually gone there and uh, written um, a um, written sort of part of their books around um, the my employee story. So if you're interested in engagement, uh, then do go uh, to that show in the archive and, uh, and and have a listen. So let's talk about the World Dodgeball Association uh, today. Uh, and with me, I'm going to introduce you to uh, Mark Croston. Mark is actually the vice president of the Rugby Football League, so he's had a an amazing uh, summer heading out to Australia and going to lots of uh, rugby games. Um, but he's also one of the two founding members of the World Dodgeball's governing body. Um, he led the incorporation process and the development of the association as the official world governing body. Uh, it's had recognition from the IOC, Sport Accord, uh, and GAISF, and each of the 68 member nations. So an enormous project uh, that's uh, undergone there. Um, so he works with all sorts of different cult- people from different cultures. Um, he's been involved with the, the culture of this organization and really transforming this sport, which is very popular at the grassroots, into something which is uh, popular globally. He also, between 2005 and 16, he was director of, the, of rugby for the London Scholars, which is uh, an, um, a rugby club, and really took them from amateur to professional status in three years. So a huge welcome uh, to Mark Croston. Thank you, Chris. It's good to talk to everyone today. Uh, great, great to have you here, Mark. And I'm really you know, fascinated by... You, know, you and your your background. We're both northerners. Um, I'm come from the east. You're a bit more western uh, than me in the UK. Um, and I'm really interested in your childhood because I know you know that part of the world that you come from is very synonymous with uh, with rugby league, for example. Uh, so tell us a little bit about what life was like growing up for you and what really inspired you towards the life that you're leading now. That's a good place to start, Chris. Uh, I uh, come from a, a, a small town in the northwest of England called Wigan, which is equidistant between Manchester and Liverpool. Now, in Wigan, uh, rugby league is, is, I guess, the national sport. Uh, it's the most popular sport in the town, and it's got a rich history. Uh, going back to the 1870s, in fact. So, it was inevitable that uh, someone of interest um, in that sport, and it was part of my family's background, my father pushed me to play that sport and pushed me on to play as good a level as I possibly could. Uh, all the schools play it. Uh, Wigan is one of the best clubs in the world and has one of the most rich histories in the world. So my dream was always playing for Wigan Club. And then did, you, did you ever do that? I did. I, I did at a junior level 
and the reserve level, but I never quite made it to the top team, unfortunately. But my career went on from there, and I managed to play professionally for several clubs in, in the UK, in France, and in Australia. I had some fun doing, doing that as well. Excellent. So um, a lot of sports in your childhood. And now you, you also told me when we met, there was some story about Wigan. Um, was it to do with some you know, uh, author or something like that? Um, there's a, some kind of story. I can't remember what it was, but uh, I remember being very interesting. Do you want to share it with me? You put me on the spot there, Chris. <laughs> uh, I think there's a, there is a very famous uh, author uh, and, and a book that he wrote, George Orwell. Mm. He wrote a book called The Road to Wigan Pier. And it was, in many ways, an essay on the 1930s and deprivation in the north of England and how society exists in that deprivation. But in fact, it was also a bit of a, a, a story about how proud people are in adversity and how people get on with their lives in that deprivation and in that adversity. It's a very famous book, and it put Wigan on the map in many ways. Mm, excellent. We... Um... I think we had a comedian called Jasper Carrot who put Scunthorpe on the map where I came from. He, he uh, made up a song called Scunthorpe Baths. I don't think it was hugely complimentary, but it did uh, make people aware of town. <laughs> wasn't as classy as George Orwell. Uh, Scunthorpe's a lovely place. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I'm really kind of intrigued. You know, you went on, you, you, you were obviously involved with, um, with rugby at a... Um, at a you know a high level with um, with regards to being a director of rugby and uh, but also that took you on to being becoming vice president of the rugby football league which is probably a game that you know around the world some nations are very very aware of and really love but some nations may not you know have heard of it tell us a bit about what is rugby league and uh... um, but Mark what did you learn when you were over there in Australia so well it was a uh, clearly a, a fantastic uh, global event. And the main thing I, I, I noticed was how inspirational such, a, such an event is. It, uh, it creates a, a huge amount of national pride. And no matter how strong your nation is or how strong uh, you are in a competition, uh, there's a lot of pride at stake and there's a lot of fans and supporters who get involved in all of that. So it was a, an amazing event and, and, and the finals played out at the at Brisbane Suncor Stadium between, between England and Australia. Australia came out narrow winners in the end, but I think it was a, an amazing advertisement for the sport and uh, something that everyone who was there live uh, really, really enjoyed. I, for one, thought it was the best sporting event I ever attended. So I learned a lot. I learned about the impact that sport can have on communities. Uh, it can have on nations, coming uh, smaller nations that aren't traditional heavyweights in a sport, but can get a great deal from entering into the worldwide competition. Great. I must have been a wonderful experience um, out there in Australia. But I'm, I'm now really kind of intrigued. You know, for, for many people, they will have uh, heard of Dodgeball through um, a crazy uh, film. I think it was in the 1990s. And we'll talk a little bit more about that a bit later. But I know um, Dodgeball is something that uh, my son, my, my, both my sons, actually, they love to play at school and, and have great fun with it. I did go a few years ago uh, to see them playing dodgeball with a tournament, and they, they just were just having an absolute uh, ball, mind the sort of pond. So I'm kind of intri intrigued, really. You know, where, where did your interest in dodgeball come from? And, you know, it seemed amazing that this very popular sport has actually never kind of made it onto being a bit more, you know, mainstream when it comes to sort of high-end, um, well-known um, sort of professional sport. So tell us a bit about you know, where your interest came from and, and what is this World Dodgeball Association that you've created? 
Thanks, Chris. My interest was spiked uh, because of my passion for helping and supporting people to become active and lead good lives through being involved in sport. Now, when I took a look at dodgeball, I realized that it's probably uh, the most accessible sport that anyone can get involved in. It's really easy to play. It's fun. You can get fit and healthy from it. There aren't too many rules, and there aren't too many pieces of equipment or kit that you need. So pretty much anyone can play. And the other thing that inspired me was that it's played by males and females. It's played by anyone of any shape and size. And there really aren't any barriers to participation. Now, for me, that was great. And I actually thought that dodgeball can change things. It can be a sport that gets people who would not otherwise be healthy and fit and active, healthy, fit and active. And we've seen that in some of the work that we've done. So, so how many people actually play dodgeball? I mean, I, I've said, mentioned it, it's played in uh, my kids' schools, and I've seen it played sort of regionally in schools. You know, is it a... You know, is it something that globally that really you know, brings people together from lots of, lots of cultures around the world? It's a very good point, Chris. Uh, my colleague, uh, Tom Hickson, who's president of the World Audubon Association, when he came to me uh, asking me to get involved, first question I asked was, well, how big is it? How many people play it? I, I nearly fell off my chair when he told me there's 75 million and then some playing this sport every week. A huge amount of people in Asia, about 30 million, about 10 million in the U.S., and lots of millions across the rest of the world. I was staggered because I compared that to some other sports, such as rugby, which has far less players across the globe playing it on a regular basis. So taking that point, I thought, well, if I don't know about this, I'm sure there's millions of people and most of the world don't know about this, but I felt they needed to know about this because it's a great sport, and as I said before, it can get people active. So my passion and my determination was to put some structure around the sport to make sure that it was known. And, and how, is the, you know, how is it structured uh, as, an, as an association? You talked about structure. And, uh, and what does your role entail? Well, primarily what we were conscious of Oz was that we needed to unite the sport across the globe, which, which isn't easy, as you can imagine, we have over 60 national federations in five different continents. And they've all got different ideas about how the sport should be governed, different sets of rules, different histories, and they're all in different stages of their development. So we had to bring all of that together. So we set up quite a few working groups, and we got lots of ideas from every different continent, every different nation as to how many balls we should play with in the United Rules, what the court should be, how long a game should be, what the rules are, how they should be officiated. Once we did that, we felt the next step was to naturally host the first ever World Cup, which we did in 2016 in Manchester, which for the first time brought together nations from different continents. And it was fantastic. Uh, the experience of seeing Malaysia, for example, play the US or Egypt play England was just magical. And uh, I was really, really honoured to be involved in that. I'm kind of intrigued. You, you mentioned now that there's lots of, obviously, nations playing, and you had to, you know, agree on some standard rules. And um, when you've got 68 uh, member nations, how on earth did you manage to do that? Because that's one heck of a negotiation. Maybe you should be, you know, helping Theresa May out with the um, Brexit negotiations. <laughs> Maybe when I've sorted dodgeball, um, I will move on to that. 
actually, uh, it, 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 in doing that, it tells you a lot about a sport because a sport is great at coming together. It's great at working together. It's a very, if you will, bottom-up sport. It's democratic. It's for everyone and anyone. So the job was a little bit easier because uh, people just wanted to come together. And everyone was so excited that actually the sport was going to be recognized across the globe and going to be unified. And obviously, uh, there are things such as uh, the aim to get us into the Olympics. So we had to unify to give us a chance of becoming recognized by the IOC, which we have now been done. And we're on a pathway now to probably be at the 2028 Olympics, if all goes well. Wow. That would be fantastic for the sport and fantastic for everyone who plays it. Sounds, sounds like a great progress. And if anyone's wondering if there's any, a little break between us, we've um, got the technical problems. We're passing a phone across to each other, which is something. Uh, I think we're 280 shows in. I've never done that before. But um, there's a first for everything. We can, um, we can manage with that. Um, it's really lovely, actually, to hear about uh, you know, the way you know, all these people want to be together. And I just I made mention a bit of a joke there with the Brexit negotiations. It's just so lovely when you know, people are coming together as opposed to people wanting to move apart. So... Um, uh, I think that's uh, fantastic. Tell us a bit about, though, you know, the, how you, you know, your progress to date and the evolution of this. And, and there must have been some challenges that you've faced, you know, for somebody to, an organization to hold a hand up, for example, and say, look, we're now the World Association. Um, you know, that's, you know, I can imagine a few different people putting the hand up and saying, I want to be the World Association. How do you, you know, how did you cope with those sorts of issues and challenges? Well, we had to ensure that uh, the, the leaders of the association were credible and were recognized as having the interests of the sport at heart. And we had to ensure that we connected into the world of sport through the International Olympic Committee and other organizations such as Sport Accord and represent our member nations in the way that they would like us to and improve the reputation of the sport get the sport onto a level, onto a platform that has never been on before. And once you start doing that, you then get your, your unqualified support from your stakeholders. And then you keep going and you keep building and you generate resources for the sport, you generate an image for the sport, you generate all your digital media presence and you try to bring everyone together. And the World Cup was the emphatic way to do that. We had to find the funding to do that. We had to generate the sponsorship to do that. We had to generate the partnerships in Manchester to do that. And we did. And it gave on a brilliant experience, and it left most people wanting more of that. So, so, so what's your vision, then, for the association? What, we're, looking at, we're looking at the association in you know, five years or ten years. You know, what will people see? We have a great opportunity this year, Chris, in taking the, the World Cup to the, uh, the, the world's most famous venue at Madison Square Garden. We're there over the 3rd and 4th of August. We've got a huge venue there. We've got huge partnerships in place. We've got broadcasters going to be pushing this out live all, all across America. We're going to be streaming it all across the world. So it's going to be on a platform that's never been seen before for the sport. And it's going to give everyone involved, playing, watching, volunteering, coaching administrating a fantastic experience that they will never forget. So that should give us a, a platform from which to build on. And what we want is we want to see dodgeball embedded in the world of sport through, as I mentioned before, the Olympics, through indoor games nationally and, and globally, through the Commonwealth Games, for example, and start to make it and 
embedded across every platform that sport currently is on. That sounds like a, an enormous kind of logistical task. I know the Olympics is different, but I remember because it's absolutely massive. But I think you know we were the Olympics in the UK. They were planning those six or seven years out, and uh, you know you've got this World Championships in in New York uh, in Madison Square Gardens. You know, must be a lot of work going on behind the scenes now to ensure that everything's you know up and running. You know, what sort of sort of structure and people and you know are involved in this uh, this whole process. You know, how are you organised? We've got uh, a combination of. Of staff uh, at world headquarters in Manchester and across the world, and we've got a huge volunteer force who are just so passionate about the sport. So we rely heavily on that. As you can imagine, there's a huge amount of logistics involved in planning a tournament of this scale. There's you have to have a vision to know what the the tournament and the event is going to look like. And as I said before, we're trying to make dodgeball look appealing to a broader audience and get people excited about watching the sport. You have to have a huge amount of partnerships with, with broadcasters, sponsors, and, and your, and your participating, participating nations. And you have to think about the content. How is the sport going to look uh, live and when it's being broadcast? <clears throat> well, it sounds um, pretty exhausting listening, listening to you there with um, all those different aspects and elements. Now, I'm, I'm also really intrigued. I bought a movie the other day. It was called Dodgeball. It had Vince Vaughn and Ben Stiller in it, and uh, which I, <laughs> I have to say, my wife and I um, did, did enjoy. It was very, very funny. Um, and, and I'm kind of intrigued. You know, are you uh, able to leverage uh, that movie in any way to, you know, because it was quite popular, I believe, at the, at the time, to, um, to help you to um, you know, promote uh, Dodgeball even, to an even wider audience? You're not the first person to have mentioned the movie to me, Chris. Uh, in fact, it's probably the first thing people say when I say I'm involved in, in, in this wonderful sport. I'm one of the probably the few people involved in the sport who hadn't seen the movie when I got involved. So um, I've since seen it, and uh, uh, it does make you laugh, and it's fantastic. And it, it, it gives a, a really interesting take on the sport, and it's obviously comedy, and it's great, but it's a great... Uh, it's a great uh, platform for the sport because it, I think most people know dodgeball through that movie. Now, what we've been keen to do is to work with the stars of the movie and the producers of the movie to link the sport and the movie together because it makes sense. It's fun and it, it gives us a better platform. So we've been working with uh, the Ben Stiller Foundation who raise funds uh, for charitable aims and we're looking to, through the World Cup, to raise funds for the Ben Stiller Foundation and make that connection stronger. So, so um, uh, we've already got one minute till commercial break, but in terms of the sort of funding and all this, you know, are you getting sort of grants from sporting bodies and things like that to make this happen? Do you have you know, a lot of work to do in that area? Well, I mentioned the, the World Cup in Manchester, and, and uh, I must relay a, a, another thanks to, to Sport England, who are the national sporting body in England, who were, were, got behind us because we have our base in Manchester in the northwest of England, and they helped fund the first ever World Cup because they believed in what we were doing. And uh, luckily for them, or maybe not luckily, England uh, won the men's version of the World Cup and the mixed version of the World Cup, with Australia winning the women's. So it was really successful for Sport England. Uh, they got behind us, and uh, we're now working with other funding bodies to make New York as successful as Manchester. 
<laughs> oh, that's great. So it was, um, it was, it was opposite to the, uh, the, um, the Olympics at the moment, the winter, where it's, uh, it's our females who are winning everything and, uh, and our males are, are, are struggling, so, um, that's, you know, which is actually great, quite great to see as well, uh, to be honest. So uh, we're going to go to commercial break now. After the, uh, the break, we'll talk more about um, you know, some of the skills that are needed to, uh, to really you know, take something new and, and develop it into a, into a global venture. That's why I'm really interested in this subject, you know, how, how these guys, how's Mark and the team, um, you know, taking an idea, and actually now it's something that is sort of starting to spread across the globe, and uh, there's indeed going to be a big World Cup this year in New York. So we'll be back with you again in just a couple of minutes. Do join us. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program. One-to-one mentoring and coaching facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you are listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. We're uh, back with you again, and we're talking, obviously, about dodgeball. And, you know, as the... um, the message there was, you know, if you ever want to, um, you know, let us know what you think about shows or you've got any, you know, questions or thoughts or you see that a new show is coming up and you've got some uh, ideas of inspiration that you can share or questions you want me to put to the guest, then feel free to drop me a note at chris at chriscooper.co.uk. If you go to the website, chriscooper.co.uk as well, you can sign up there at the top and we'll send out a communication about once a month, which just gives you a sense of what's coming up and uh, uh, and I'm starting to give a sort of take on, on some of the shows that I'm doing as well and things that I've learned. So uh, do go to there. And we're going to talk to Mark again, obviously, now. And I'm kind of intrigued. You know, we, we, this, this show is about 
Obviously, it's about um, you know taking your your thinking to a new level. It's about taking your, your business venture to a new, new level. And I'm I'm intrigued from this idea, which was taking you know a seed of a concept, um, seeing an opportunity that, for dodgeball to help people become more fit, and seeing that it was you know, actually very widely 75 million people were playing this anyway, uh, and taking this to a you know a global level with uh, with tournaments and the like. You know what skills have you found, Mark, that you 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 know really utilize to help get this global venture off the ground well where do i start chris uh, I, what i would say is that if if you do have a vision for anything that is significant and and bringing together the world <laughs> in, in a way or or uh, several nations or several different uh, categories of people or businesses uh, the thing that uh, I've had to have more than anything and, and, and that I think the skill you need is, or to develop is to, to be resilient. So resilience is, is, is the overwhelming um, thing that I would say you need in this situation because uh, it's very tough. Uh, it's a new thing. You're developing something that's never been done before. So there's no pathway or roadmap for you. You've got to develop that yourself. And invariably you make mistakes. You take the wrong turn. So you have to pick yourself up almost every day and start again and go again. Now, the other thing I've realized is that things take longer than you ever planned them to. You need more time, and you need to build in more time if you're going to do things properly, especially with such a a huge challenge as this. Um, The other thing I've learned is that when you're talking to people about your vision, uh, your product, and your concept... You really need to be very careful about how you talk to them about that and what you tell them. Because you know how good it's going to be. You see the vision. You developed it, so you believe in it fully. But it's, it's not, there's not much point in just telling them that and expecting them to see and believe what you see and believe. You've got to find a way of getting into their minds and getting them to understand it from their perspective. So seeing it from their point of view is crucial. So how you develop those partnerships is a big part of being able to move forward with all of this. Brilliant. So, um, you know, what I'm also, you know, kind of intrigued now about this, you know, you say things take longer than you probably ever imagined. And I think that's, you know, typical for any project. And there's always going to be times where you think, oh, yeah, we'll plan that. We'll have that sorted by June. We'll have that sorted by November. And you get to June or November uh, and, uh, it's not happened. I worked with a client on a six-month project, and it turned out that I was there 18 months in the end because the project, it just was never, actually, when we saw the permutations and the, the combinations of what could happen, it was never actually realistically going to happen in that six-month period. They were very apologetic to me, but I was delighted to be working with them for another year, um, to be quite honest. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of intrigued because something like you've got the World Cup at Madison Square Gardens. That's a really iconic venue. That's a venue where some of the best, you know, rock bands and, you know, have, uh, have played and some of those um, nights, uh, you know, Queen at Madison Square Gardens and things like that are just, you know, written into musical history. But you're going to be there. Your organization is there. You've got your event this year. Surely you can't just decide with something like, oh, well, maybe we'll, we'll delay it a few months because it's got to happen, hasn't it? Because you're telling people. So... Um, you know, how do you ensure that an event like that does happen and happens on time and happens well? Because I don't think that's something you can you can shift. Oh, we're a bit behind. We'll do it in 2019. 
It's a very good point, Chris. And because the sport is at the early part of its evolution in terms of being commercial and global, it doesn't have a great deal of infrastructure or income streams or funding. So what we have to do there is rely heavily on partners who see the same vision as us, who want to make this happen. And we've had to plan very, very carefully as to how, what resources we deploy, what we spend, what's going to happen when. And there's a, a huge critical path document that tells us where we need to be and when we need to be there. And we've got colleagues who manage that critical path to make sure that the likes of me don't deviate from it and, and stick to the plan. And put pressure on me to deliver the things that I need to as part of that critical path. So every day is interesting, every day is full of pressure, but every day is full of opportunity, which is fantastic for someone like me because that's what I thrive on. Yeah. Yeah, so. <clears throat> I know you seem to be shooting around the world. Um, I know you've been to Norway in the last, uh, mm-hmm. in the last few days uh, with, with doing this, so it must be you know, quite a challenge managing yourself and, and managing your diary. So I guess some other people helping you do that and, and must, be, course, must yeah. be really appreciated. Mm-hmm. But what do you do with an event like that? You know, you've, um, you're clearly going to need quite a lot of funding for Madison Square Gardens. I imagine that venue is not like hiring um, you know, our local village hall. It's going, to be, it's going to be a huge amount of money involved. So you've got to make sure that uh, everything is lined up for it to work. And, you know, how, do you, how do you deal with that? Or, or do you just, if somebody, somebody has a wobble, you find someone else and you put all the energy in and it happens? Well, some of the skills I mentioned earlier about how you build those partnerships have, have, have been very useful. So we've, uh, when, we, when we launch the, the ticket sales for the event later in March, we'll be announcing all those strategic partnerships, sponsors, broadcast situation. So they're all coming around the table with us because they all believe in this event, which is really exciting. And to fund the event, you rely on sponsors and partners, but you also rely on ticket sales. So I remember at Manchester, we, we did the same thing. Uh, there wasn't a, a track record of a dodgeball event selling tickets. There wasn't really a track record of a dodgeball event selling major, major items of merchandise, uh, the official ball and, and official merchandise. So we went into that uh, with a, an amount of optimism, with an amount of risk, but we learned that there is an audience out there who want to purchase dodgeball, watching it, they want to purchase dodgeball products, and they want to get involved, and they want to watch it live, and they want to watch highlights and clips. So we've learned that. So we stepped up a little bit, some might say quite a lot, from a 3,000-seat venue to, to Madison Square Garden. But we're happy to do that because we believe that the American in particular and the New York audience and the global following will turn up to Madison Square Garden, support the event, and, and get involved. Well, we have a big, um, you know, obviously this show is on Voice America. We have a big um, audience of people who very kindly uh, listen to this show. I've been absolutely astonished, actually, to find uh, how many people review the, the numbers this year are actually listening to this show. So I know there is, um, you know, it's in the hundreds of thousands of individuals who, um, who access this show every, um, you know, during the year. So uh, I would recommend, you know, if you're in, living in New York, and we get lots of people in New York, you're living in that area, or you fancy traveling to something, really different uh, this year, then you, know, you need to go and get some tickets and, and experience Dodgeball uh, live. So how do people go and do that? The first thing people should do, Chris, is to, uh, to get on the World Dodgeball Association face, f- Facebook page, like us, follow us, because all the ticket information and all the discounted rates and special offers will, will be driven through that. 
to see the Facebook page of World Dodgeball Association. They could also visit our website, which is planetdodgeball.com. Now, there's going to be a great opportunity to experience an event at Madison Square Garden for far less than any other event that's ever been there. So the ticket prices start very reasonably. So it'd be a great chance to experience the garden for far less than you've ever done before. Mm. So how long does this event actually go on for? You know, something like the... The, you know, the Olympics, they tend to go on for weeks, or the you know, rugby league in Australia, or you know, is, it, is, it, is it over in a, a couple of days, or are people there for quite a while? Cause, and, what was, this is 16 nations going? Or, you know. Chris, we've got the 10 best female, the 10 best mixed, and the 10 best male nations in competition for, to win three different World Cups in each of those categories. And they all play at the same venue across two days, so we'll crown three world champions at the end of the second day. And you've got a variety of nations from five different continents. We've also got the host nation, the US. We've also got the uh, reigning champions, England in two categories, and Australia in the, in the female. And we've got teams from Asia, Africa, the Middle East, Europe, and the Americas. So how, how do you... So how do you handle things like um, you know accommodation for these people? Is that something else that you get involved in, or do they do all that themselves? You know, are they on some little training camp somewhere, or what happens? We do a variety of both. We've got uh, accommodation and training venues arranged for nations, but some nations want to spend more time in central Manhattan uh, to experience New York. Why wouldn't you? So would I. And some prefer to be a little bit more outside of Manhattan to concentrate on training and, and the competition. So it's a combination of both. Um, so, um, so we've got this great event going on in, in Madison Square Garden. I think in you know, two days, you're going to see some serious amount of sport there, aren't you? <laughs> um, you know, it's not going to be like just turning up to watch a, a soccer game for a couple of hours. You're going to get two days of pretty intense uh, activity. So that sounds uh, you know, quite good value in terms of uh, an experience. Chris, I'll tell you about my experience uh, of Manchester when we, we, we hosted the inaugural World Cup. I invited, obviously, a lot of my friends, colleagues, family members, and a lot of my friends, colleagues, family members are, are very hardened rugby players who sort of came along and said, well, we'll come along to support you, Mark, but what is this dodgeball? Is this real? Is this a real sport? And am I going to enjoy it? Every single one of them wanted to experience dodgeball for, for the first time, just shook my hand and smiled and said, this is amazing. I can't believe I've never seen this before. They brought their kids, they brought their families, they brought their friends, and every single one of them left with a smile on their face. And that's what we hope to do at Madison Square Gardens. <clears throat> You've obviously got a background in you know, professional rugby, and you know, there's an enormous amount that goes into training and, uh, and developing a rugby player from you know, kind of nutrition through to um, you know, managing, developing their performance and that sort of thing. What happens in, in dodgeball? Um, you know, is, uh, do people take it that seriously? That's an interesting point, Chris. Uh, I mentioned earlier that dodgeball is probably the, the most accessible sport in the world that anyone can play. And that's true. Yet each of the nations participate in the World Cup has a high-performance program where all its elite athletes will participate in to get them physically, mentally, and tactically and skills-wise strong enough to compete. So they're all looking to improve. 
and they're all looking to be the winners of the World Cup in New York. So everyone wants it. Everyone's improving all the time. And as a, as a world governing body, we've got a culture education program where we uh, educate and, and upskill coaching staff across the world to make sure that the staff are up to the job of taking those athletes on and making the tournament uh, a special place. So, so during this dodgeball experience, I mean, have you, you know, do you have, you know, three or four things maybe that you've really learned through the experience that you think could, you know, help other people in the the sport hospitality industry when it comes to, you know, putting on great events. Yes, <laughs> in a word, yes. Um, it is. It, for me, it is a, a huge honour and a privilege to be involved with, with dodgeball uh, in the way that I am, uh, as it is with the sport of rugby league. Uh, I've had a fantastic uh, career in sport, and what I would say to people is that if, if you love sport and, and you love what sport can bring to communities and, and to the world, you should get involved and, and don't be afraid to uh, live out your dream in a way and to... Take on a challenge if you believe in it and work hard. Um, if you work hard and if you're a little bit smart and you're resilient and you care and you're passionate, you can achieve pretty good things. Mm. So, so it, kind of, it kind of feels from, you know, from my perspective that you, you know, this is as much about you know, your purpose as a human being. You know, you're talking here about sport and the way that it... it um, it helps people to become more fit and healthy, uh, and uh, um, you know it. It also is um, is something that uh, you've seen something here that lots of people actually love, and you're trying to take it to another level. And it feels, it seems to be for me that you're living out your purpose uh, in this, as uh, uh, you know, there's this development of this um, this concept of dodgeball. So, um, you know, um, is this something that's important when you're you know developing initiatives like this? That it's it actually it becomes, you know, it's, it's part of you, uh, and then that helps to drive you to you know, overcome all the obstacles and issues that you might face on the journey. Uh, that's an interesting uh, take on that, Chris, uh, and it almost goes back to, to, to the introduction to, to myself, coming from a, a place uh, such as Wigan, which is a, a fairly average, generally a, a sort of a working-class coal mining uh, community, where opportunities, you could say, are limited for anyone to get out of there and to achieve great things in life or interesting things. I was very fortunate to be able to do that via sports, uh, able to live in different countries, travel the UK, play sport professionally in, in those countries. Uh, and that's a, a huge honour and it's a huge opportunity. So I think that if you can play sport, achieve things through sport, it gives you a, a certain take on life and it gives you opportunities. It, it teaches you things, working as part of a team, being a leader, uh, making sacrifices, and you can take that on into your life and into your career. I think what I, I'm also you've got me thinking about is that, is that if you go to school or, or um, you know, a young person, there are certain sports that um, for you it was rugby league because you lived in Wigan, um, for many people, it's, uh, it's, it's soccer. I was chatting to a friend the other day who's putting his son in a private school. They don't, he can't play soccer there. You can only play rugby. Um, it's very easy to maybe limit yourself to 
in a few a few sports that everybody wants wants to play. Um, I, I I learned in my late twenties that actually I was a good cross country runner and and a good distance runner. I had no idea when I was at school because um, the opportunity wasn't there or nobody you know, saw that in me. But then um, I found through going to a gym and having various tests on me that actually you know my 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 ability to run distance was actually unusual. Um, so I just thinking here, you know, I think you know, taking on new sports where actually there's not so many people maybe playing it at a professional level perhaps um, could be quite a smart move because actually you've got an opportunity there to uh, to maybe you know go and shine and try something different and make your own mark in it you know you don't have to be you know like like football in the UK or, or maybe American football where everybody or baseball where everybody is striving hard do you think there's more opportunity then by you know looking into these kinds of uh, what, what you know could be seen as being minority sports well, the, the world is changing, Chris, isn't it? And, and in this new millennium, millennium, there's there's new millennials want different things from the world, and uh, millennial sports such as dodgeball and e-games and, and the more modern sports, they're the ones that are going to grow. Um, I guess the more traditional sports from the Victorian era, they're the ones that are going to not grow and maybe go backwards. Uh, what was interesting for me was to see, for example the Malaysian team come to the World Cup in Manchester with very little resources, and very little finance and very little behind them. They got to the, the men's World Cup final. And it was interesting to see when they returned to Malaysia, they were met at the airport by you know, quite a few people. And they became kind of national celebrities just on the back of playing in a World Cup. And that demonstrates how powerful playing sport can be at an international level. Now, some of those people now earn a living from dodgeball, whether that's celebrity endorsement, whether that's coaching, whether that's in development, or whether that's through playing. And that's come about because we created the world governing body, we brought the world together with a World Cup, and that's how powerful this can be. So I think you're right. I think some of the new millennial sports will create new stars. And, and, and certainly with dodgeball, that's what we're doing. Mm. Wonderful. Um, exciting. So uh, with, with dodgeball then, you know, can, can anybody play it locally? Or, do, you know, is, is it a case of if there isn't a team, you go and set up your own? Is, uh, is it age dependent to a certain age when you're maybe best not playing it? Or is it um, available to everybody? Chris, even you could play. <laughs> it's that easy. <laughs> it's that accessible. Surely not. And listeners, uh, if you could see what I could see, you'd understand why there's a, a certain amount of laughter here. I'm joking, though. Chris is a, a very fit and active person, as, as you mentioned earlier. It is anyone can play. Um, it, it's just so accessible. There's no age barriers. You can, uh, and you can just play in, in your back garden. You, you don't even need any specialist court or equipment. I think anyone, really, as a kid, has played a version of dodgeball. You have a ball, you throw it at people, you try to dodge it. I guess beyond the 70-plus million people that play on a regular basis in a formal setting, I guess pretty much every school child will experience some form of dodgeball uh, in their schooling. And I guess there's many, many more, hundreds of millions of kids who play dodgeball or some form of it every single day. So, so most people would know uh, the skills needed to catch a ball or dodge a ball, and it's as simple as that. Excellent. Um, well, we've um, got a few minutes left until the 
end of the interview. Um, and I'd just like to sort of ask you now um, whether you've got any, you know, what, what, any sort of key messages that you think you might like to, to you know, leave people to have a really good think about. Um, well, um, it's, it's an interesting question, uh, and I don't really want to repeat myself, but what I will say is that sport is obviously a, a thing that people get involved in generally because they enjoy playing a particular sport. They then go into uh, maybe volunteering that sport, coaching and management, and, and in my case, in, in terms of governance. I think if you can, uh, and you've got a passion for it, keep going. Keep trying and, and become involved in, in sport as a volunteer and, and in governance because it can have a, a great impact on, on the world. It can have a great impact on the health of the world. And for me, the most important thing is creating opportunities for young people uh, to develop themselves, to be healthy, and to be good citizens. Brilliant. Uh, it's, um, uh, it's a really, really fascinating story, this one. You know, what, uh, you know, what Mark's done and the team done, they've, they've seen an idea, they've seen an opportunity, they've seen a you know, potential here for a millennial sport that's actually being played all over the world anyway. They've created an association. They've brought people together from around the world. They've agreed standard rules. They've put in place um, tournaments uh, now at a, a world level. And uh, they've got this amazing event, which is going to happen at Madison Square Gardens in New York in, in 2018, so this year. So um, it's a really, really great story. And I think um, you know, what I also love, I know behind the scenes, there's been a huge amount of effort here to, to organize these events and, and make this happen. You know, when, you, when you're working on a project, it's not always a straight line. There are twists and turns in the story. And I'm sure there have been lots here with World Dodgeball. But it's about, as Mark um, mentioned there, you need about being resilient and overcoming these issues and finding ways around them. Uh, to, to make things happen. Great opportunity here by the sound of it to get involved in a, this, um, so I love the term millennial sport as well, Mark. You know, this, um, there, there are new sports, like there's new organizations and new businesses. There's continuously, uh, you know, new um, opportunities and new kind of niches that are being, being developed. So just want to say a big thank you to you, Mark. Um, it's been really fascinating talking with you. Hope you've enjoyed being on the show. I have. It's been fun, and, and thanks for everyone listening. Uh, so I just also want to mention, uh, or to mention them that uh, if you want to go to the World Dodgeball Association, um, go to planetdodgeball.com. You have a look at their site there. There's a Facebook page as well, which um, you want to... Um, yeah, World Dodgeball. Okay, there's World, World Dodgeball. That's the Facebook page, is it? Like, yep, so go to World Dodgeball. Um, go and like that page and, uh, and have a, a look at all that. And, you know, I'd love to hear from anybody who buys some tickets and goes, because uh, I'd certainly love to, be, to um, have the opportunity to be in Madison Square Gardens. Sounds it's going to be good value and lots of um, activity going on there. So I need to mention to you the show next week. Um, uh, I'm really, really excited about next week's show. We've um, got some incredible people on it. Um, it's a really artistic group of people who've... Um, uh, and, and we've never actually had three guests on the show at the same time before. But um, Libby Wagner, who's a friend of the show, she's an amazing um, business poet. And she has um, impacted the cultures of massive organizations in the United States. And she's got together with Stephen Morris. And Stephen Morris is a marketing maestro. He's got a, a big, big marketing agency. But he's also an artist. And also um, Owen O'Sullivan. And Owen is... Um, He's famous because he's a brilliant musician. He has um, collaborated with Steven Spielberg. Um, he's um, played with um, 
um, various Russell Crowe and all sorts of uh, well-known people. And they, they're coming together to discuss the artistry of engagement. So they work with leaders. And they um, use um, you know, sort of live music and things like that uh, to, um, to bring, get, help people to think deeply about what leadership is all about. Um, so we're going to be talking them next week about the artistry of engagement. And also we've got a live performance from Owen, who's going to um, share some music with us as well. So do join us next week. Any comments or feedback, get back in touch with us, um, Chris at chriscooper.co.uk. And I wish you all well. We thank you for listening to the Business Elevation Show. Please join your host, Chris Cooper, again next Friday at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more.